Hello and welcome to Is Me In Conversation, a podcast all about advice for leaders of independent businesses. My name is Ed Palmer and I'll be asking our guests for the best pieces of advice that they've ever received in life as well as work, as well as, crucially, the worst piece of advice. They're also going to be sharing practical and implementable tips and advice for business leaders. So on this episode, we have Dave Huggett from Lucid Financial Markets. I'm not going to even try and begin to explain what Lucid do. I'll leave that to Dave in a moment's time. But on this episode, we're going to be touching on the reputation of financial markets, diving into business cultures and philosophies, and discussing the brilliant business case for just doing the right thing. So to kick us off, Dave, can you please give us a brief tour of your career to date? Tell us how you got to where you find yourself today. So my career, where I am now, sort of took a, quite a sort of long path, I guess. I did a construction degree, and when I left uni, I spent about 18 months in that world and just absolutely hated it. And I got offered an opportunity to go and work for one of the, the London agent, uh, state agents. At the time, it was very hard to get into that world. It was a very different space than it is now. Anyway, battled my way in there, and I spent the following uh, nearly 10 years in the real estate sector, first in South London and then into Central London, I left having again been offered a sort of new opportunity in in the city, uh, working in currency. This was quite late in the day. I mean, the graduate seat I was thirty one. You know, with all the sort of things going on in a, at that time of life, with potential kids on the horizon and mortgages and stuff. But having discussed it with my wife, we we thought it was a, a great idea. It was back of the credit crunch, so the sort of real estate world was tough. I spent the following thirteen years working in corporate foreign exchange, so managing currency risk for mid-large cap corporates, firstly just in the UK and then following that into Europe, mainly Spain and Portugal, but I had clients in the Eastern Bloc and Italy and things like that. And I left there in 2020. Again, COVID environment, we were meant to be moving to Madrid. I was meant to be basing myself there with my family and COVID kind of killed that. Obviously, it was a very big shock, the whole COVID thing. And that market in Europe suffered particularly badly. And the company I was working for at the time dialed back on that whole expansion. So it felt like a good time to to move on. So I left that job sort of heavy heartedly after 13 years. In the end, it, it became a bit of a blessing in disguise. It was, a, I think, a, a position a lot of people find themselves in, you know, quite a well-paid position, but always felt that it wasn't what I really, really wanted to be doing. Following that, I left and did some consultancy work for a couple of companies um, but but again quickly found that I was leveraging my sort of experience my network for potentially the benefit of other people and I that's when I started Lucid that was a year ago almost of a day. Okay so layman's terms please tell us a little bit about what Lucid do and who your clients are. So I, as I alluded my I guess uh, craft expertise whatever is in foreign currency risk management it sounds bigger than it is really currencies are the most liquid market in the world, you know, most volatile market in the world. And it requires a, a high touch approach to managing it well and managing risk well for either a corporate, which is predominantly my background, but then also there are obviously individuals that are moving money around the world in relation to things like real estate, transfer of wealth, inheritance, emigration, many number of things, and often in high numbers. The reason I started Lucid was really on the back of almost a gap in the market that was where clients, I believe, were victims of a strong word. It's not that's not the right terminology, but where brokers and banks essentially operate quite a target-driven approach to this product and service, which meant that 
the client ultimately was at the mercy of that monetary target, I suppose. And, and, and I think what's always hard to do is create true value when you have KPIs and, and targets attached, because rightly or wrongly, you're, you're always adhering to that number and that will ultimately drive a specific type of behavior. There, there are great providers in both spaces, in the broker world and the banking world. There are always great providers of it. But my feeling was that, especially on the private client side, that there wasn't great representation when it came to just purely client first. And that's that's what my crusade is, is to provide individuals and specific corporate clients with an absolutely client first approach to their currency management. I mean, I don't carry financial targets. I don't measure my business on revenue. I measure it on the satisfaction, the outcome of the client over anything else. So just there, just there you mentioned KPIs, you mentioned targets disapprovingly it kind of suggests a slight disapproval of the sector in general so for context how do financial exchange traders make money from clients it's a great question and i think you know this is a confusion that often occurs you know when people ask what i do and you know obviously i work in fx i work in, in currency markets my background was futures and options forward contracts and options derivatives and I think often it's confused with a sort of speculative landscape. My skill is to help people with deliverable currency risk. What I mean by deliverable is where you have a reason to buy or sell currency in the course of your business or for a tangible reason, an asset purchase or a delivery of an amount of currency. The broad market, it trades on speculation. So the market as a whole is a highly speculative market that trades on price action price movement which is where you hear the word trader i wouldn't put myself in a trader camp because i now would call myself a risk manager consultant more than a than a trader or, or a, certainly a remitter it isn't the approach i take but the business as a whole is is very much is risk management to any client or individual or corporate that has that exposure to the market Okay, a brief deviation now then. So Ismi & Co. is all about providing great advice for leaders of independent businesses. This podcast is also about advice. What we'd like from you, a question we ask all our guests, is for the best piece of advice that you've ever received in business or in life that you carry with you to this day. Yeah, for sure. So the first piece of great advice I received, it was back in probably 2004 from my director boss, I guess, at the time, who I'm still very good friends with. And his advice was, don't ever be afraid to lose a deal. And I think what he meant by that was, you know, always back your service, defend your proposition over and above anything else. And if that doesn't satisfy the customer or the client, then that's okay. I've kind of lived and died by that. And I think if you conduct yourself and your business or product or service, whatever it may be, to a standard that you're completely happy with. As long as you stay to that standard, that piece of advice will always serve you really, really well because it's okay to walk away. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Right. Let's go back to Lucid. You stepped away from a corporate role to start your business. So what have been the hardest moments of the first year or so of Lucid? I think really like anyone that kind of goes it alone or starts a business or goes out on their own, it's that apprehension of leaving the safety net and leaving that security of a paycheck, etc. And that was the toughest thing to, I think, to make a decision on. Once you make that decision, I think it really quickly becomes easier. If you're in a profession, you have a skill set or a proposition that 
you've essentially proved you can provide and deliver for somebody else. The reality is you can do it for yourself. And the hardest part being, I think, that initial decision to do it. Once you do that, it's you have ups and downs, right? You have days where you kind of think 31st a month and it's been a tough month or things haven't spun up as quick as you wanted them to. There's always that feeling of, I missed that paycheck. But I think that's natural. And I think as long as you keep your your focus on what you're setting out to do, why you set out to do it. And as long as you have a sort of solid plan, and not the cheesy adage of if you work for it, it'll happen. It, you know, it really is true. You just got to stay in the game. You know, the, the fog lifts and things get better all of a sudden. There's just turning points in your time. And it's certainly in the first 12 months where you suddenly kind of go, actually, it works. And then you, it's just really a case of repeating it and staying current and making sure that the proposition is still what it was you originally set out to, to provide. Well, you sound really positive, which is fantastic. Can you pick out any moments that have been particularly exhilarating or rewarding? Yeah, for sure. I think, I think as I've alluded to a number of times, my background's corporate. So my network has been predominantly corporate clients. And I'm looking to pursue the private client space because I believe there's an area which I can add a ton of value because it's taking the guidance and service, etc., that you would otherwise provide a large corporate and offering that to an individual. Because, you know, often with individual numbers, the numbers are still big. The risk is still quite high for the client. So I generate a lot of those clients via referral, via a network of partners, again, European-wide, mainly in Southern Europe. But I think the biggest turning point for me was the first client that was referred to me by a partner in those regions. It was that first moment of, from sort of almost a standing start, I've gone out, I've built a relationship with a partner, and they've referred me a client. I remember when I did the deal, and I thought, do you know what, that's the first deal I've done, which is completely which didn't exist pre-lucid if that makes sense it wasn't an old client it wasn't anyone I knew before I'd gone out and I'd approached the partner built a relationship they trusted me and referred me the work and I delivered it and it was like wow it works I think once you do that again in whatever product or service it is that you do that's the tipping point you've got to then believe right I've done it once so if you've done it once it's sort of a bit rinse repeat with a whole load of enhancements and you know tweaks and changes along the way but that kind of comes organically I think it's just that moment of going the idea I've gone right through it and it's and it's delivered and it's worked and the client was happy and the partner was happy and it was that was a real big moment for me all right so this this podcast already is full of insights and advice but I'm going to ask you for a second piece of great advice that same question again the greatest piece of advice that you've ever received something that's always stuck with you a second piece of advice please Second piece of great advice um, was given to me by, again, someone who I've worked with for a very, very long time. And it was his mantra, and, it, and it's, I live and die by this. It goes, price is only an issue in the absence of value. And that lends itself brilliantly to the cost-led nature of many industries, many products, many services. And it comes back kind of quite nicely to the first piece of advice previously, in that if you're not adding value, the only thing you can change is price. Equally, if you are adding value, absolutely defend your price and don't be afraid to charge for your proposition. I think it's too readily, especially in sales industries, too readily people are willing to move price to win business. And I just, I think it's a shame and I think it creates a normalization within a lot of industries that means that there's an expectation from a client that people should 
move on their price to get a deal done. And that, a great example of that is real estate, right? We all, when we go and buy a house, rent a property, whatever, we all feel like we have to get it less than the price. And that's an inbuilt, learnt behavior from a part of any market that doesn't know how to deliver a proposition well. And therefore, the only thing they have to move on is price. But yeah, that's one of my favorites. Let's, let's talk about marketing for a moment, because it struck me that you are all about fairness, you're all about honesty. But how do you market those principles? How do you market fairness as a business philosophy? How do you market trust? It's a really great question. And it's kind of it's a difficult one to answer without going too off on a tangent. So do stop me if I do that, I'll have a propensity to, to, to go off on a tangent. But I think it comes back to if you have that client first approach to whatever it is you're doing and whatever it is you're providing, and always, always keeping that quality of service and quality of proposition as high as you absolutely can the trust and the integrity part looks after itself you know poor behavior or untrustworthy behavior sticks out like a sore thumb whether that's a cheap sales tactic whether it's pushiness whether it's aggression whatever it may be it comes through and the other thing i think the main main point to this is transparency i don't hide how i generate revenue i don't i'm not afraid of discussing it with a client if they you know want to talk in detail about how that part of my business operates i've got no issues because as i've alluded to where you have the need to hide something or feel the need to hide something then you shouldn't be doing it whether that's a big margin whether that's a big margin without an accompanying value proposition it just comes down to you know really great client interaction like I say I'm referred a lot of my business but if I'm referred a client I provide a a very clear and concise follow-up to the introduction I don't use and abuse that I don't chase it I take a consultative approach I offer my advice and my uh, guidance and it's down to the client largely to act upon that it's carrying yourself to the highest esteem you can and I don't think you can market that really it comes from reputation it comes from time on the job interesting chat with somebody yesterday i was talking about they asked me how's business i said well it's you know it's actually picking up really well it's, it's kind of turned a big corner in the last sort of four or five weeks six weeks but i don't really know why and i think the, the true answer to that is if you you have a standard that you stick to and you absolutely don't deviate from the universe looks after you somehow it just you, it, it works and you build a brand around that the minute you deviate from that even once whether it's a bad review whether it's a desperation to push for a bit of business that you might probably shouldn't have been writing then that's when the skew kicks in and that's you don't ever want to be in that place yeah i can i completely agree i think you know suspect behaviors erode trust they erode your reputation but they also sort of erode your business systems i think because actually at the heart of what you're saying isn't about altruism it's not about doing the right thing from a moral perspective or it's not only about that it's also about building a business that works i think that's how you get longevity for sure i think that's what i've learned from a lot of businesses i've worked for in the past in whatever sector they're great companies and they every company i've worked for and been part of i've learned something from and they've given me an opportunity to you know have gainful employment and i've got i haven't honestly got a bad word to say about any of my employees in my career to date but I think that they all get to a place where you become too revenue focused and therefore things slip or they become too big. And as numbers grow and companies grow, it's why banks have become 
I think, difficult to provide a really, really high-end service because they get to a size and to a, a capacity where it's not possible to offer that. They're not able to provide that close, concentrated level of service that small businesses are. And that's why I think that in the advent of technology and the, the world of post-COVID and the fact that we can all operate where we want in the main Never has there been a bigger opportunity to go out and just do a good job and build your business on reputation via a network, essentially. Um, and I think that's cool. And, I, and I'm excited for anyone that wants to do it, whether it's my sector, whether it's another sector. It's kind of the new dawn of business in many respects. I think the dawn of the entrepreneur is very much upon us because of social media. It's never been easier to get reach. It's never been easier to expose a business. And you can do that by being a good person and carrying a good level of moralistic behavior. And I think if you do that, I, I really think that you can't go too far wrong. Well, while we're talking networking, it would be remiss of me not to mention ISME and Connect, an online networking opportunity for leaders of independent businesses. If anyone listening would like to come along, we would love to see you. Right, Dave, um, a tricky one now. If a business growing compromises its integrity do you plan on scaling Lucid? And if you do, how are you going to maintain your values throughout that growth? It's a, it's a really good question. I, I, of course, my interest in this business is, you know, I have to make a living, of course, but it's my primary objective is not money. It's not what motivates me. What motivates me is to build a business, a culture, an environment that people, great people can come and work in and, you know, make a good living and, and have a, a really good standard of work life balance i guess i mean it sounds a bit sort of self-serving in some respects but i i really believe in that i've worked within some amazing cultures and the best culture i ever worked in was an environment where the expectation from a work input point of view was 12 hours a day six days a week but you, you just wanted to be there the culture was so good and the, the environment was so compelling that you held yourself to a really high standard the client was super happy it came through in everything we did and Yes, I do want to scale this business, but I think how big, who knows? I mean, who knows? If I can expand my beliefs and my approach within anyone that joins the company, then I think we can do a really great job. And, and that comes from releasing ownership, essentially. I, I, I don't believe in employment. I believe in ownership. And I think if, if I can make people owners of the company, essentially, I think I can achieve that goal of keeping that culture really focused and keeping the proposition really strong. Okay, uh, going back to what you said about your reliance on referrals, and a lot of businesses work that way, is there a way of making referrals a sustainable growth plan? Do you, I mean, do you ask for your referrals? Do they come naturally? Have you got a system for referrals? I have a system. Is it a clear-cut system? Probably not right now. I think um, the way I generate business is very, very... I have to be referred on the private client side. There isn't another way of reaching clients outside you know very specific marketing channels at the moment i rely exclusively on referral so at the outset of that partnership it's very clear and very obvious why i'm speaking to that partner etc i think the future of sales in any industry is the referral the, the channel partnership and i think that actually what a lot of us take for granted is the strength of our own network we all have linkedin we all have god knows how many followers or connections on linkedin and what I've worked really hard on lately is putting my business to one side. How many people within my network can I connect? How many connections can I make for other people? And I almost unofficially KPI myself on how many connections I can make for other people because you know what? It ties in with doing good business, doing good things for others, if you want to look at it that way. But 
it creates a, a situation where it comes back round, and you've got to keep doing it. I try and connect as many of my network as I can on a weekly basis because they appreciate it. They come back to it when an opportunity comes up for them to to reciprocate. They will, and, and I think it's about sowing seeds, and that's where the channel partnership approach really works because it's a seed sowing process. You've just got to always think. Who could I connect this person with? I think about our conversation now. Who can I connect Ed with? What other business would benefit from being involved in this in this program? And I think if you do that, always look to connect people. That effort for other people, it comes back around and pays you. It's funny, isn't it? Uh, when I started my business about three years ago, I thought, okay, so I'm going to have my, um, I'm going to have relationships in the rest of my life, and then I'm going to have relationships in business, and they're going to be marked by being. I don't know, kind of cynical and profit-oriented, but it it turns out that's not the case. You make loads of, loads of friends, and it turns out that actually doing the right thing is best practice for your business. Million percent, million percent. It's it's. I wouldn't like to say that it's a good thing that my competitors often don't figure that out, but I live in a world now where if, if someone phoned me tomorrow and said, I want to start an FX business, I'd just help them. I think if you do, there's enough business in any industry to go around there just is people talk about saturation there's maybe saturation in a specific approach but there's always a new angle there's always a new way there's always a new approach you can take to acquire clients there's always disgruntled clients within your space that would love to speak to you or to any business that is providing a service what i'm trying to say is if you always have that who can i do a good deed for today it just it comes back round in spades and I, and I and I love I love that mentality and I live and die by that now brilliant so hopefully that's inspiring everyone to get on and do some of those good deeds um but before we get to good deeds some bad advice please what is the worst advice that you've ever received this is it literally is just staying in a job because it's safe because it meets the daily monthly requirements of life especially if you're not happy with it. And I think we can all take a step back and go, am I truly happy doing what I'm doing? Is this what I want to be doing? Is this where I want to be? Or am I staying in it because it's easier, because it's unknown? I think now I've stepped outside that world and, and known it's not easy. Don't get me wrong. It's not easy to step away from it. And it's not easy to take that plunge because there are risks. But that can, it's slightly cheesy, but you know, you regret what you don't do, not what you do do. And, and that's a really, really important way of thinking and again that was it it took me some time a long time to come around to it and to push the button to take the leap only the individual can know when that time is right and sometimes that's forced sometimes that's through a turn of events sometimes it's because you got to the end of the line with something in my case the writing was on the wall in terms of my employer and through a number of other events following that it became very clear that I was trying to find excuses not to do what I do now rather than to do it Staying in the safety net, if you're not happy, is the worst thing you can do, worst thing anyone can do. Thank you very much to Dave Huggett from Lucid Financial Markets. If you found these pieces of advice useful and you would like access to other experts covering all aspects of running a business, firstly, subscribe to the podcast, naturally, but also head to ismeandco.com where you're going to find all kinds of advice for business leaders. Thank you very much indeed for listening.